1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au
0: Spiritual winter. Changing your geographical location won't help you in this kind of winter. It's spiritual winter when you no longer feel the presence of God the way you used to.
1: Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll start the first in a series of messages on a particular season of life, that of spiritual winter. That time when God feels far away when we need Him or when He has actually distanced Himself from us because we have stopped welcoming Him into our daily lives.
0: There are numerous people in spiritual winter that desperately want out of it, but they don't know how. I believe God knew we would come to this, that sooner or later we would all be forced to ask that question. Why does God sometimes seem absent when I need him the most? This is today with Jeff Bynes. Turn over to the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. We'll get there momentarily as you're doing that. I love Christmas time. What other time of year can you be in a public place? and hear songs about Jesus over and over again. I like Christmas verses like this one. that really is serving as the foundation for this series we're entering into beginning tonight. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Man, I like everything that entails. God with us. But now... I'm here to confess something to you as well. Christmas, my favorite time of year, because I hate winter. I hate it. Now, I love my friends down in New Zealand, but they're just living in a dream world. Because for about 10 months of the year, it feels like winter to me. And remember, I grew up in Tennessee. So I've made a list of words I associate with winter. Okay, follow me here. Here we go. Death, that's right enough, right there, that's that's enough. Things are dying everywhere. Ice, hypothermia, wind chill, snow, more ice, cold nights, cold days, cold feet, frostbite, salt trucks. (laughs) No golf. (laughs) Dead car batteries. More frostbite, gangrene, thermal underwear, My wife wearing thermal underwear for months at a time, (laughs) which is enough for any man to detest winter right there. (laughs) Diminished mental capacity, seasonal affective disorder, happy days for electrical utility companies, and recreational eating that requires weeks to recover from. And I know there are people in this room because there's been in every service just like this, They will tell me they like winter, but I have some news for you, I don't believe you. (laughs) Because you tell me how many people spend their entire working lives in Florida, and then when they retire, they move to Chicago, Illinois. It doesn't happen, because even people who live in Chicago don't want to be in Chicago, they just haven't figured out a way to get out yet. And when I talked to my mom about this when she was alive, I would say this and she would give me that little whiny voice and she would get all mad. She'd say, but Jeff, God made winter, so it's got to be good. (laughs) And I'd say, mother, I hate to tell you this, but there is no mention of winter in the Bible before the fall. Before sin entered the world, there was no such thing as winter. Instead, you look at the book of Genesis, we read about trees that are bursting with fruit, rivers flowing with water, and it was so warm outside, people did not even feel the need to wear clothing. (laughs) Winter is after the fall. I think winter happened because somebody in the Midwest did something very, very bad. Winter. Now look, I wanna talk to you about something that is far more serious. And I want you to get in here and let's gather in together. Something that's far, listen everybody, far more serious than a physical winter. And changing your geographical location won't help you in this kind of winter. It's spiritual winter. When you no longer feel the presence of God the way you used to. And what makes it so hard? Is you can identify a time in your life, man, when you felt so close to God, it was like when you prayed, he was seated right beside you, man. It's like when you read the Bible, open it up, he was speaking directly to you. It's like he had the goods on you and knew exactly what to say. When you came to church, man, and the song started, you didn't need any instruments. You just needed somebody to start singing. And just it resonated and your your, uh, your passion rose, your... Your demeanor, your countenance would just go another octave, another level. It's like God was right there. But in spiritual winter, it's like God has moved so far away. And what's worse, it happens usually when you need him the most. When I was down in Savannah, Georgia, ministering those two years before God led me to the promised land here in Southern California, (laughs) there was a lady, a young lady, outstanding, talented, beautiful, astonishing young woman all the guys would give anything to date this girl. What was so impressive about her is her relationship with God could best be described by the word just depth. A great devotional life, a great prayer life. Early in the morning, before the offices would open, you would find her walking across the lake, walking around the lake. She wasn't that good. She wasn't walking across. Walking around the lake. And just moving her lips, you think, what, she's lost her mind? No, no, she's conversing, she's talking to God. Sometimes it was so deep, you wondered if God was talking back. And then she was diagnosed with cancer. The time went by, and I'll never forget her coming into my office, and this is what she said. Now, it's not word for word. I've tried to put it down as best I could remember. I mean, her passion was for purity. She wanted to be a pure woman of God. And that was only outdone by her passion for God and intimacy and relationship. But she walked into the office and she said, Jeff, I can fight the cancer. But what I can deal with is the absence of God. Where is he? It's like when I need him the most right now, I can't find him. You talk about his prevailing presence, Jeff. Well, I don't have it. I could deal with the disease, but I can't deal with this. Can you please help me? And I quote, she said, I feel like I'm in deep spiritual winter and this winter is never, ever going to end. Now, before you would judge her, think of the words of C.S. Lewis. Arguably had one of the greatest relationships, in-depth intimacy with God, probably than any other man who ever lived other than the apostle Paul. And C.S. Lewis, after his wife died, Now remember, this is the guy who said that when you pray, you ought to bring before God what is in you, not what ought to be in you. In other words, tell the truth to God. Say what's on your mind, don't fake it. When his wife died, he didn't fake it. And this is what he wrote. He said, where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate. When all other help is in vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of a bolting and double bolting on the inside and after that, Silence. Spiritual Winter. This whole thing about Spiritual Winter reminds me of Martin Hansford's book entitled Where's Waldo? (laughs) It sold over 40 million copies. At first, he just wanted to draw crowd scenes. That's all he wanted to do. But he noticed kids wanted to try to find their heroes in all the photos and the busyness of the crowds. Enter Waldo, a geeky looking glass wearing nerd wearing a goofy hat. And the whole idea of the book is in the early pages. On the initial pages, Waldo's presence is obvious. You can find him because he's so distinctive. It's easy to contrast Waldo from everything else. But then you move through the book, and in the middle pages, Waldo is hidden. But you can still find him because the other occupants on the page, it's like giants or sea monsters. So again, Waldo stands out. But by the end of the book, it's Waldus Absconditus, the Waldo who hides himself. And the worst thing about spiritual winter is what theologians call theos absconditus, the God who hides himself. You just can't feel his presence. You reach down for warmth, but you just feel cold. And you can't put your finger on it, but you keep asking, what changed? I was in spiritual summer. God was right beside me. I felt his presence When I read the Bible, I felt his word. He spoke directly to me. No matter what I was involved in, I felt God was right there. In fact, sometimes chill bumps would run up and down my spine. It was like God was so close. (laughs) Do you know the phrase, it is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved before? I don't think that's true of God. Man, if you've ever loved God and you've walked in intimacy and there's been depth of relationship and then you go into spiritual winter, there is nothing worse than that. Especially when you cry out and you say, God, why are you hiding? And especially in times that you need Him the most. Now, it's not always like that. But I promise you, chances are that a large majority of the people in this room and listening down in New Zealand or watching down in Australia, wherever, I can tell you, there are numerous people in spiritual winter that desperately want out of it, but they don't know how. This is Today with Jeff Vines.
1: The message is called Season of Life, Winter. And the winter Pastor Jeff is talking about is in the spiritual sense, when God feels far from us.
0: I believe God knew we would come to this. That sooner or later, we would all be forced to ask that question. Why does God sometimes seem absent when I need Him the most? Why is He theos absconditus, the God who hides Himself? And why do the seasons of spiritual life change? Why can't God just always give us summertime? When we feel His presence, it's it's overwhelming. Now listen, I believe that God knew you would ask that spiritual winter would come to all. No one's immune. So he provided a special story of someone who experienced the deepest spiritual winter possible and his name is Job. And if we're patient, listen, if you're patient with me tonight and over the next few weeks and you allow the story to develop and you will follow the clues with me, here is the commitment, I will make something beautiful will happen. Listen, please, some of you, man, you've been in spiritual winter so long, follow me. If you will follow these clues and listen to what we're gonna learn, the sun will start to come out and you will see that spiritual summer is just around the corner because the truth is God wants the same thing you do, spiritual summertime. Where his presence is so overwhelming in your life, you know that every decision you make, he's right there. Job chapter one, verse one. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. Now he's from Uz. So we need to know where Uz was. (laughs) And Uz was in the East meaning east of God's people. It's the writer's way of not telling us specifically where Job is, just to say, metaphorically, in a far, far away land, in a far, far away place. Because Job's story is your story and mine. His sons used to take turns holding feast in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Now watch this. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Now, right from the get-go, let's move over to teacher mode. We got to get something straight. Popular in Job's day was the doctrine of retribution, written about in Mesopotamian wisdom literature. Now, this is pagan philosophy, but here's how it went. Tell me if you've not heard this before in church. Righteousness results always in prosperity and blessing. While unrighteousness always results in suffering. So if you're experiencing blessing, it's because you've been a good little boy or girl. But if you're experiencing suffering, it's because you've been a bad little boy or a bad little girl. What the writer of the book of Job tells you from the get-go is Job's life throws that philosophy right out the window. Because verse 1 says, In the land of Uz there lived a man, his name is Job. He was what? Blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Which tells me it's possible to be in spiritual winter of no fault of your own. Look at the last part of verse five in chapter one. If you have your Bible early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. That is his sons and daughters thinking perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. This guy's so holy and pure. He offers sacrifices in case his children have sinned just in case. Now be careful how far you take this. Tell me if this resonates with you. How many of you had children when you were younger, and your children loved to throw things? It's okay, throw rocks, just pick up things and throw it. It's okay, it's all right. You can, you know, we'll start a group later about rock throwing children and what it's done to Scary's parents for the rest of our lives. Well, my son Delaney, when he was six years old, when we lived in Auckland, New Zealand. He loved to throw rocks. Just pick up anything and throw them. Of course, you know that there's a problem with that when you're six years old. You're gonna hit cars and houses and people and things like that. Didn't seem to bother him. Seemed to bother the people he hit though. And so he's out in the driveway throwing rocks. I'm on the front porch reading my favorite book. He doesn't know I'm watching. I catch him. He's only six. And I say, Delaney, what has your dad told you about not throwing rocks? And of course he hangs his head. Oh, dad, uh, I'm sorry. Son, don't let me catch you throwing rocks again or you're gonna be in big trouble. He said, okay, daddy. About 30 seconds go by, and Delaney asked me that question. Maybe it's more of a statement. Dad, yes, yeah, son. Don't look at me, daddy. <laughs> Excuse me, son. Don't look at me, dad. Now, why is he saying that? Because he wants to do what he wants to do, and he doesn't want me to. He doesn't know yet. He's only six. It doesn't quite work like that. Isn't that exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden? God said, Don't eat the fruit of this one tree just this one. You can have everything else. Direct disobedience, it results in a severed relationship, spiritual winter. God comes walking in the garden. Where are you? Now he knew where Adam was. And Adam responds by saying, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid. In effect, Adam says, don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. I know I did what I wasn't supposed to do. Don't look at me. And so a businessman checks in a motel He knows the kind of movies he can get in the hotel. And he says to himself, my wife will never find out. My children will never know. And the hotel clerk assures me that it won't appear on my statement or on my bill. But just before he pushes the button to watch what he knows he shouldn't watch, he has to make an agreement. He has to make a statement to God and that's this. Don't look at me, God, don't look at me. A student looks at somebody else's paper. In a major exam. He cheats. He tries to justify his action. He's dishonest. But before he cheats, before he glances at another person's paper, he has to make a statement to God. What is it? Don't look at me, God. Don't look. Two people, a boy and a girl who call themselves Christ followers, They cross the line in their relationship. It's gone physical and into an arena that it should never enter. But before they do, both boy and both girl, it takes two to tango. They gotta look to God and they have to say, don't look at me, God, don't look. The problem is, if you say, don't look at me, God, long enough, two very, very bad things happen. Number one, you'll get to the point where you won't care. You'll say, look at me if you want, God. I'm gonna do this because I want to do it. And that's called losing your sense of shame where our only sorrow is getting caught. But the second thing is far worse. If you continue to say to God, don't look at me, God, don't look at me. You know what God does? He stops looking at you. And do you know how far away he has to move before he can't see you anymore? Now, metaphorically speaking, we say that. Pragmatically speaking, God will always see you. But if you tell God, don't look at me long enough, God moves away. But who really moves, you or God? It's more you. You say, don't follow me around, God. I don't want you to see this. Because God is not going to violate your free will. If you say to God, don't look at me, he'll stop looking. The problem is you will enter a deep spiritual winter. And what's amazing to me about all this is people just don't connect the dots between unresolved sin, unresolved conflict, and your ability or inability to feel the presence of God. It's amazing. I want to go my own way. God cramps my style. Those ethics are old school. Don't follow me around, God. You're not going to like what you see. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. Now listen, I've said it once. Let me say it again. America has lost its ability to feel God because it's lost its willingness to obey him. And some of you young people, I'm watching you. Here's what you're thinking. Well, maybe if God revealed himself a little bit more to me and I would feel him, maybe I would obey more. And God says, no, you first. You obey me first and then you'll feel me. You will think that I am right beside you every step of the way. It's you that moves, not me. We tell God, get out. We don't want you. We want nothing to do with you. Winter comes and we sit in amazement like we're shocked and we say, why can't I feel the presence of God? Now my mom, don't worry, not going to talk about my mom's death again. But I will tell you that my mom is just like any other Christian lady. She had her weaknesses. She's not God. I know sometimes when I talk about her, I make it appear that way. She's just like everybody else. And I remember a season in my mom's life when her bitterness and her anger toward her mother was so deep that it took all of about 30 seconds for every time you talk to my mom, as a matter of fact, My brothers and I would have a little bet when we'd go visit mom. We'd say, how long do you think it'll take before mom turns the conversation, whatever it is, right toward her mother and her anger and what her mother did last time she saw her. I mean, it was horrible. The topic of every conversation, the centrality of every thought, it permeated every thought my mom had. Every conversation eventually turned. It was amazing. She could turn a conversation about gift wrapping to my mean mom. Now I will tell you, Her mom, my grandmother, is probably one of the meanest women in the world I've ever met. I will say that. But that's beside the point. The bitterness and the anger just permeated her soul. And then a couple of years before my mom died, it was Christmas. We were sitting around the table eating some turkey. And I'll never forget. My mom said to me, son, can we talk? Now, in her tone of voice, I knew my role had changed within a matter of seconds from son to pastor. (laughs) Can we talk, son? Well, sure, mom. And this is what she said. Jeff. I just don't feel God these days. The disrespectful part of me wanted to say, you think? But I was smarter than that. I said, Mom, winter came because you welcomed it in. You cannot continually disobey the call of God and expect to be in spiritual summertime.
1: Thank you for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there for today, but we'll pick up where we left off next time, looking at a particular spiritual season, that of winter.
0: We tell God, get out, we don't want you, we want nothing to do with you. Winter comes and we sit in amazement like we're shocked. And we say, why can't I feel the presence of God?
1: Today with Jeff Vines